Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. Well, welcome everybody to the Venture 12 podcast. And as ever, I'm gladly joined with uh, today with Chris. Yep. Hello, everybody. Uh, or should I say my Chris? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd hoped you'd uh, forgotten about that. No, in the last episode, uh, Mark's reference in here a moment where I accidentally slipped and called him my Mark. Um, um, I didn't say anything at the time, but it w- I was a bit weird, weirded out by yeah. it. And unfortunately, a few people of our listeners who have noticed it and um, brought it up, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah. Um, so it's been an awkward few weeks for us, hasn't we've, it? We've been cleaning up a big mess. <laughs> yeah, we have. <laughs> Setting the record straight. We've had some uh, press releases and, yeah, just yeah. to clarify, Mark is not mine. But it's uh, but we're here and all's well. Yeah. And uh, we're excited for another uh, podcast. This is episode... Episode number seven, and it's a great one. Um, and uh, it's a great interview. It's uh, an interview with a guy called uh, Alan Hirsch, um, who, I mean, maybe we can just dive straight into that and talk about, I mean, f- for us, it's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's known around uh, the church globally, you could say, um, but he's also had a really, really big impact on us personally also our leadership team and then even wider our whole uh, outlook on mission and uh, what it is to be church uh, yeah t- I mean, tell us yeah Alan it'd be fair to say he's uh, <clears throat> I just agree with what you're saying but he's a frontier thought leader you can mm. say he's his shape shaped a lot of the conversation the missional conversation and uh, with important ideas helping us to look at things differently helping us to rethink the you know mission in general but also the way we do church see church uh, yeah. and uh, for us particularly like um most significantly helping us explore what it means to release the full body of christ uh, yeah. so talking about apest uh, the apostle prophet uh, evangelist shepherd teacher mm. um helping us think around what it would look like to to see church uh, yeah. move in in all those characteristics yeah. of yeah. And a real leading pioneer in those thoughts as well and, and got books out and um, lots of different training and resources that you can access that just is just incredible in highlighting what the church has been missing, where it's been maybe starved of what it needs to be fully growing and fully mature yeah. uh, and giving us a bit of a snapshot of what the church and the world could look like if we fully embrace the full body of who Christ is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just echo what you're saying. Yeah, we're really excited about this about this uh, podcast. Um, before we kind of introduce it, um, we got a few other things that we need to get through. <laughs> what, what are they? Well, we need to do that. We need to do shout outs. Yeah, we do. This is a good part, isn't it? Yeah. And, and our shout outs um, come from positive feedback, don't they? They they do they do. Do we, do we give shout outs about negative feedback? Well, we've not had any negative no. feedback. It depends what it is. but yeah. If uh, it's constructive, you can have a constructive negative feedback shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we do take any uh, suggestions for improving the podcast. Yeah. Because we, we're building... A, we're, we used to be really sensitive <laughs> yeah. in our early days. Uh, yeah. But uh, our confidence is building. Yeah. We've got a thicker skin now. We, we so. can take some constructive criticism now. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah alright who's uh, who's our feedback come from this time on the last episode and I will just quickly say this if this is your first time listening or if you've listened to a few just hit pause and go and listen to some of the others because we've we've had some great uh, interviews and some great guests the last one was 
on the theme of uh, exploring new monasticism with Mark Scott from the Salvation Army in the UK. And before that, we've had Dave Ferguson talking about apprenticeship and something called hero making. And then before that, we've had um, Emma Cottrell talking about uh, feminist theology and, and, and other themes as well. So do go and check out the rest. Um, but what's some of the feedback from new monasticism with Mark Scott? Uh, I can't remember the specifics, but uh, it's generally been positive. Yeah, uh, we've got some uh, from Eva Marie Schillergaard from Sweden. Yeah, who uh, uh, who was was asking about um, maybe going deeper into the subject. Yeah, and uh, asking questions about you know where what, mm. you know what's the fruit and the, the impact on people's lives. Yeah. So, hang we, on a minute, Eva, isn't she your boss? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, you. Have you got ulterior motives in the shout out here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping if if I if I shout my boss out, yeah. there might be some have a pay, pay rise, pay rise or something. <laughs> <like that. laughs> no, no, what's she saying? You uh, yeah, I've got. I've just pulled it up. She said uh, it'd be really exciting to hear how they chose to um, put together their way of life. Um, that Mark was talking about, this collective way of life in their community uh, and the fruit that has come from that, what's been challenging. Uh, and uh, she'd love to hear more in uh, part two of that uh, podcast, which will be coming later this year. Yeah, so a big shout-out to Eva Marie Shillagood yeah. for giving us some feedback. Yeah. Uh, and we're not shouting you out because you're my boss uh, <laughs> <laughs> or because for any ulterior motive. Um, anyway, yeah, so Eva Marie Shillagood, Stephen Oliver, big shout-out to Stephen Oliver in the UK. Yeah, um, I don't think we need to kind of go into the, the specifics, no. but just good to get some encouragement. Good to good to get some support. Absolutely. We were talking about whether we should perhaps create a name for our fans. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, like uh, Justin Bieber's are the Believers, aren't they? We need, yeah. we need something for the Venture Twelve podcast yeah. listeners. So, I mean, if you if you're listening, the, the... Uh, well, you're obviously listening. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you're listening. <laughs> Uh, but we, we really would love for you to to, to think of a, a name for our growing fan brace. Um, Have you got any suggestions? What's leading the way? What's leading the way? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The Venturers? <laughs> <laughs> the Adventurers? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. We'll leave it to the masses to decide. The masses, uh, yeah. So the, the masses? Yeah, the masses. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... Get in touch if you've got an idea or if you're bothered about that. Yeah. Um, anyway, we should probably stop being silly. Yeah. Talk, uh, talk to us about this uh, interview, Mark. Um, what's the theme of it? Where? What's the point? What's the purpose of it? What answers are we looking for from it? Well, it's. I mean, it's. You're gonna uh, when, when you're listening to it, you're gonna sense that we're, we're talking about quite a lot of things, really. Um, but we. we one of the reasons we wanted to talk to Alan is because we're looking for people to to help us understand what's going on mm. in the world, in the church. And um, Alan is passionate about the church. He's definitely passionate about thinking about uh, the future church as well. So a big question is, you know, uh, a lot of the questions that we're asking were around around that and how the church is changing during this really weird time that we're in, uh, pandemic and all, and moment of you know incredible change uh so yeah lots of themes that i think will be really helpful but it's quite a a challenging podcast Mm. um so just kind of prepare everybody really yeah uh for that um and that's good you know we 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 welcome that Mm. we want to get to the root of some of the big issues that we've got Mm. Uh, and i think that's a really good way of describing it uh i think alan helps us get to some of the core both spiritual and uh, uh, yeah, some of the roots of our our problems yeah. that we need to face up to. We need mm. to name in order in order to kind of embrace the future and move into the future in a better way. Yeah. I so, think that's a really good introduction to it, and I think it's good to prepare. I mean, he's in his nature, and also in this podcast. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? Uh, so he, he says what he thinks, uh, which is which is great. Um, and so um, yeah, just uh, enjoy this. Um, it might be provoking stuff on there, but just uh, jot down anything that you find really interesting or really challenging because it will help you in your discussions, in your small groups, in your leadership teams or, or just with your friends um, following the interview. And what we will say again is uh, 
after the interview do stick around because we do a little bit of a, of a reflection and uh, we pose some questions for for you just to to reflect even further so stick around yeah that's enough from us let's get into the interview Well, Alan Hirsch, welcome to the Venture 12 podcast. How are you? Yeah, good. Good to see you again. Could it's you? Been a while. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and I, you know, there's this COVID stuff in between too. I've, I've often thought of you guys and how my Swedish friends, oh, I love, I love my Scandi. I love Scandinavia. And I miss it. We were, we were there every year, as you know. And uh, I mean, that's been taken out. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Strange times. Strange times. Strange times. And that's partly why we've got you on the podcast because a lot of people are trying to find people who might be able to help us interpret. Strange people for strange times, right? Strange people, strange times. Well, listen, um, Alan, can you like kick us off by just telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, you, you know your your background and and the. The, the, the idea of mission that you perhaps inherited uh, just to get us going right uh, well um uh, Alan Hirsch, um yeah i'm um, i'm 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 an australian um, but my accent would give me away for those who know i was born and raised in south africa in apartheid south africa which was very difficult for me and i and I, I, was, I came from a Jewish family, so it gets a bit more complicated somewhere in that. And um, so, um, yeah, South Africa was a very oddball experience for me. Anyway, I see myself having escaped South Africa when I was 22, went to Australia, and then met my wife, my, my Deborah there. And, you know, um, we had a ministry there in, in, the, in the inner city, Melbourne. I was eventually, you know, recruited to the denomination that I was part of to lead their mission and education kind of work, um, which is kind of more local educational stuff, training, um, and which is about mission, ministry development, leadership, all that stuff. Pa working for the denomination I felt was like paying for my many sins. You know, it was something I found very difficult to do, but it was a great learning experience started a thing called Forge, which you guys know uh, about. Um, and then one thing that led to another, we felt very much called to America at one stage, and this was about 13 years, 14 years ago. And so Debs and myself moved to America and have been there for about 14 years until COVID came along and then we escaped from New York, <laughs> literally, um, to come back to be a, just part of with our family here, just in the, this complex weirdo time. So, I don't know, a writer, um, um, mainly I get around speaking, I lead certain organisations, more in the pioneering kind of challenging people's thinking about the church and the church in mission. Um, yeah, it's been a fun conversation. It's brought me into connection with people like yourselves in the, in the global conversation, you know, so it's been wonderful, wonderful journey. Yeah. You, you, you must have some strange hours at the moment. If you, I guess you've got a lot of Zoom calls across the world. Yeah, most of my work. Are you keeping up? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I get up really early uh, in the day now. Oh, is it like early in the morning? Up at about five on average, which is not terrible. And I rather like it. I get to see the sun rise, and I get to see you know it's pre time if there's nothing else going on. And um, yeah, no, it's been all right. But yes, it's a little weird. Um, you know, I find like old man that I am now. I'm in bed at nine o'clock and you know sleeping by nine thirty. With a wow, that that has never happened. I mean, I'm usually a night night owl. So anyway, yeah, weird times like we say. Yeah, but you know I can do my work from here, and there's there's good things in that. I don't have to travel as much anymore. I was like, and I was on the road in America, mainly in America. Oh, over seventy percent of my year was travel. You know. Which is a lot, mm. more than I'd ever imagined, you know. So I'm glad I'm not travelling like that yeah. now. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned the world's changed dramatically. Uh, our patterns, our behaviours, and, and so much happening. It, you know, it's an incredible moment of upheaval on so many levels. It is. Um, well, I mean, Mark, you think about this, right? I mean, it's a little, you know, like look at us now. Like we're not, look, it wouldn't be, it'd be much better if we were together, right? It would. But this isn't bad, mate. It isn't bad, is it? No, it's great. I mean, we, we can see each other's gestures and all that stuff. We can have a pretty good time. We can get used to this. I mean, it's a, it's a very reasonable way of communicating and we don't have to travel to do it. And I think that, I think it's a gift. I think it's a great opportunity to explore a different frontier and to think differently about so much of how we do things. And the digital, the digital cat is out of the bag and there ain't no way of putting it back in. So I think church has got to fundamentally recalibrate that or put that into the, into its mix now. Interesting time. Yeah. Interesting. We perhaps could come back to that, but I mean, it's, it's a moment of upheaval and there's so much pain and disruption going on. Uh, and uh, so my first question to you really is what you, what, what, what are you seeing? You know, what, what moments of unlearning are we, are we kind of experiencing learning? Um, uh, and what do you think God might be teaching us in this moment? Well, uh, well, you know, so <clears throat> I find it useful to uh, think about um, our situation in, in light of the Bible. The Bible uses the term apocalypse which we always get the impression, impression like a Mad Max movie. And I guess that is a form of it, right? I mean, you read the book of Revelations, it does look awfully like Mad Max in some ways. But, um, but really it means revelation as the obvious translation, but um, unveiling, exposure. Um, and what's going on in Revelation, and it's like in, in the book of Revelations, is like, you, you know, the reader or the receiver of the revelation gets to look behind what is apparently normal phenomena and you get to see heaven and earth intersecting in a, on a dynamic scale, you know. And so, but the thing is that was always happening. It's just that you're not aware of it. And, and so that revelation is like peekaboo. It's like pulling back the curtain and, oh, my goodness, that's what's really going on, right? And th I think that that's a reasonably useful metaphor for us now because any theistic Christian believes that, you know, that these events are not outside of God, God's sovereignty. Um, you know, he's, he's sovereign over all of human history. So but somehow God's in this. And we've got to see this as a moment of testing from God as well on the church. Um, and the interesting thing in, in the book of Revelation, of course, you have, you know, First of all, you get the, you know the revelation of John. It's a liminal space. He's in a kind of marginal experience on an island in a jail, and he has he's a dreamy kind of fellow, John. He's a spiritual dude, but the liminal conditions precipitate this opening of heavens, and he begins to see this amazing Jesus who appears to him, and he's like struck down, right? And uh, then, of course, he you know he gets to hear the first the challenges to the seven churches, which are directly out of the encounter with Jesus. And Jesus is calling it <clears throat> to account. And uh, and each one of them, Jesus got issues with the church, right? He's saying, look, uh, this I love about you, this uh, not so much, uh, repent, um, or I'm going to come take your lampstand, right? And um, so they all call to some form of repentance. And I would argue uh, that's the metaphor for us. We... Right now, I think we're in an apocalyptic moment. We Things are being revealed to us that have been there all along. Actually, to be honest with you, um, they've been there. We just didn't pay attention. And I think God has kind of like, you know, hauled us to account now. And now we're getting to look at some of the, they're not all sins, but there are sins in there. There are some real sins in the church about not being the kind of people we're, we were designed to be, but also our fragilities and, um, um, yeah, how, how fragile our understanding of church is. And, yeah, so we've been tested, and that's a biblical category as well, you know, that God refines his people. And I think we're in a refining moment. Mm. Um, America, we have been spending a lot of time, you, add, you throw the, the presidential election into that, and I mean, it was like, that's apocalyptic. 
And I would say it's the apocalypse of the American soul. And, and, and even more horrifying, to be honest with you, Mark, the, apocalyptic, the apocalypse, the revelation of the evangelical church's soul. Yeah. And to be honest with you, bro, it's not pretty. No. I mean, we've, we've had the curtain pulled back on that and think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Where did that stuff come from? Yeah. You know, so I think we've got a lot of repenting to do, man. And but I think it's God's in it. And I think, yeah, that's one of the things. And there's some good stuff in it, but that's the hard stuff. And how we re, how we respond to this will be, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to. We'll come back to the this idea of repentance. Um, but uh, what are the things that you're seeing? Uh, maybe it's hard to say in this moment that we stand in that are are being exposed in evangelical Christianity. You know, what are those major what are we seeing at this moment anyway? Well, for me, I think the most, again, this is largely largely confined to <clears throat> North America, mainly the US, uh, but not exclusively. Um, but what, we, what we're seeing there, what I'm seeing there, and again, it horrifies me to be very honest with you and very disappointing, but that uh, I say it this way, the church doesn't seem to look act, sound, or think like Jesus. I, you look at what, what people are doing now, what's being reported, um, and you look at Jesus. Uh, let's just let's be, let's be honest about this and, and we look at Trump. I say to people, you can hold your nose and vote for Trump. No problem. You know, I understand that. You know, you, maybe you're just conservative. You can never go for a Democrat. I get that. Uh, I, I, I'm not there, but I take that. I get that. But ask for forgiveness. But you're not allowed to. If you claim to love Jesus and to be part of his kingdom, his lordship, you are not allowed to get excited about Trump. It is forbidden. It is not allowed. We are bound to a certain way of being that looks awfully like Jesus. And if you end up doing things and getting excited and passionate and giving your, your heart and mind to to something that is fundamentally at odds with Jesus' kingdom. That is completely at odds with, you know, that is not allowed. And uh, um, so for me, that's the most horrifying thing that's being revealed, mm. is that the church is deeply out of alignment with her founder. Yeah, I um, think it's almost, it feels like it's unhinged. I it, mean, it's, it's totally, it's almost unrecognisable for, for some of us. I, I, I feel that way, and I mean, I've been serving it for a long time. It's, I mean, honestly, this started for me five years ago with Trump's first election in, the first election, and um, I mean, it was, I, I felt like, you know, I felt, and I'm going to be indulgent here, right, but I felt this, felt like Hosea having married a hooker and thinking, what, who is this person I married? I mean, I've, I've been serving the church um, with my life and having a lot of fun, and but it was a service, you know, like it's something I've given my life to. And I realised, oh, my goodness, I don't recognise this woman I married. And it's um, it was very hard to stay involved. I mean, very difficult. And even, st even still, I've found it very, very difficult now. You know, God said to me, Brian, he said, suck it up, Sonny. What do you think I've been doing for thousands of years? <laughs> suck it up. Go, you know, go work. <laughs> I think I think it's interesting times, isn't it? I, I know we say that a lot, but, you know, it's exposing stuff on a heart level, on a deep core level, but also on a, like a, a form expression level as well. I mean, have you seen any, uh, obviously, you know, we've all had to rework how we do church. Yeah, massively. What what are you oh, yeah, what are you seeing? Are we embracing yeah. this moment of change in learning? Well, you know, whether we are or not, I can say this much, if we don't embrace it, I think uh, I think I think many churches will close. I mean, now that no one's got much of a choice anymore. Uh, honestly. And look, anyone thinks it's going back to normal, I think I'm dreaming now. Yeah. You know, we were touching base before the recording on, on the digital kind of thing. You know, no, tell me now. I mean, like, most churches really struggled to get the traction thing going. I mean, you, you know, you had a core of people that were going to come anyway, and they were your real core, and they are wonderful people. But there were a lot of the people were just barely hanging in there, and it wasn't that exciting anyway. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't rocking, right? 
um, people weren't bashing the doors to get to church on Sunday. So, you know, now they get to stay at home. And not only that, they can listen to, what, an option of maybe 12 million possible services online on any given Sunday. I mean, and they can stay in their pyjamas and have pancakes while they're doing it. I mean, it's not going to – they're not coming back. They're not. And, you know, I, I think it's an opportunity in this is to see how can we how can we use this as a wonderful way of re revisioning what the church is and how the church gathers, you know. I think it's a great opportunity, but I think it's going to force us to think fundamentally differently about the church. Yeah. Yeah. One of the metaphors I use, Mark, you might have heard me on this, but it's a metaphor many people find useful is that if you want to learn the game of chess, the suggestion is you take your queen out first. And what's going to happen is your opponent will cream you for a long time. Um, but what's going to also happen is that you're going to have to learn, if you keep in the game, you have to learn what the other chess pieces can do. And if you can win the game of chess without your queen, then you put your queen back in. And then, you, you know, you've really learned the game of chess, right? Because we always over-rely on our strength. Now, for us in the Western church, our perceived strength was always the Sunday or the weekend expression. <clears throat> Everything gears towards the weekend and the attractional service. And, I mean, all the budget, everything heads in that direction. And... Um, now that's been taken from us. Now what's happened meant that we now we have to we have to learn what the other chess pieces can do. Is church just Sunday service? Hell no. Well, what is it? Does the church exist beyond a kind of gathering on Sundays? Surely we have to answer yes, but then what does it look like? And how do you organize that? Well, that's the challenge. But I you know, and we some are some are making the shift in a beautiful way, some are not. But I, I don't think it's going to be normal again. Nah. And not, it's not going to be viable. I was working in, and Mark, you'd know this from the European setting, I was working in New York City prior to this and, you know, serving church planters in New York City. Now it's a tough city. It's a very expensive city. And of American cities, it feels like European, difficult, anti-Christian, you know, res resistant, highly resistant to the gospel. It's not even as bad as Europe, but it's kind of like Europe more than like the rest of America. And, um, and I predicted then that, that you'd have a 50% attrition rate in the church plants because most of them were trying to do church like they did it in Dallas. Now, church in Dallas is you plant a cross in the ground and some sort of mound, in the, you know, and next week you're going to have about 10 people. The week after you'll have about 30. The week after you'll have about 15. And you've got your church going. It's just by planting a cross. Down. You know, they don't have to do much. It's very churched. New York City, not so much, right? But if you're doing that form of church in New York City and it's expensive and barely working, you know, when most of the young people left, you know, because they can't afford to stay there now, most churches are in big trouble now because, yeah, they can't afford the buildings, they can't afford, they can't afford to be in New York. So it's very, I'm heartbreaking to be honest with you, bro. These are good people. But it is an opportunity, I think, for, for people to re-envisage what does church look like? Can we, can we run church differently? The one church that's thriving in New York City at the moment that I'm aware of, there might be many more, but one is, is called C3. Now, oddly enough, it was an Aussie start startup. And the guy came, and he and his, his wife, a wonderful couple, <clears throat> started the church. They came from house church background. And this is a mega church, right, of about 3,000 people in New York. It's the biggest megachurch in Manhattan. And, um, and they have weekend services and all that, at least before, before COVID. But, but they started in this notion of let's do dinner parties. And a dinner party is, was, it's really a microchurch, what you know, we call today a microchurch. They didn't have that language. It's a dinner party, and, at the, and we had to have four leaders, and you know, the two are leading and the others are apprenticing, so they're learning how to do it themselves. So they're built in scalability into the system. They're thriving, man, because all their dinner churches are pumping. And even when people left New York City, they start dinner churches at their homes. Anyway, so now they're running a thing all around the world <laughs> because you can do this anyway. You can do it online. And um, and they're reorganizing themselves as a movement, which is just exciting now. You know, They're not just coming to worship on Sundays. 
they quickly learned that no, let's prove it to our to our our, our dinner churches. And now they've got flourishing over like hundreds of these things across the city. It's amazing. Is it a mindset that they have that you know what is it that that's enabled them to to kind of adapt? What, what what's the difference? Yeah, I, I think so. They and and because the instincts were to recognise that um, the mid-sized group, whether they they couldn't articulate it, these are you know they 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 weren't like those kind of missionaries. It wasn't like they'd done you know they just had a heart for it and were sent. They felt sent by the Lord to from Australia from from Sydney to New York, and they came just two of them and started a dinner party, you know, and kept the dinner party structure. So I think much more in the instinctive level, they realised that the reproducible model is one that didn't require that you have a whole service and pulpit ministry and that kind of stuff. But all you needed to do is just to kind of be able to run an event party, 20, 25 people. It's not rocket surgery, mate. It's like pretty straightforward. There's a few skills in there, but it's not incredibly hard. And uh, anyone can do it. And I think there's there's the thing, the microchip, and this is what I think one of the big learnings of the COVID experience is that it's the age of the microchurch now. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, what I mean by microchurch is a church size from maybe 20 to 50, um, you know, and, you know, where we, it's the most reproducible form. Um, the small group size, the Bible study kind of size is not a reproducible form. Um, there's a whole science of proxemics that's all about that. Um, there's stuff we can talk about if you want to do that. Um, but, the, but the reproducible size is the party. Mm. And, uh, you know, like if you have four leaders, two leading, two apprenticeships, and you've really got the possibility of two groups. They do the same, two groups do the same. Then you organise translocally. So it's, yeah, it's just... It's instinct, bro, but it's very much like the early church. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's interesting. I read about um, a book by Alan Creeder, The Patient Fermentation of the Early Church. Yes. And um, this, the, uh, they, the, you know, the gathering, Sunday gathering or the Saturday gathering was, was never like a place where they would, it wasn't really a place where they invited people. Uh, it wasn't open publicly because it was a lot of disincentives to be Christians at the time and, you know, very hostile environment. Um, but it was the habit, habitats of the people, the the, the practices uh, that tantalised, like the, the what the you know their neighbours. Um, yeah. So it was very much like uh, you, you know the it's not that they won converts through through events or through no. even through arguments, but by by what a way of living, uh, which was the energy. Interesting, and they, they put a high bar on discipleship. Exactly. Um, very well, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. What, what do you? I mean, I, I'll go ask you this question because I always hesitate to say it. But do you, do you think that we're? Is this a is this a reformation moment? Is this a a win a new reformation? Feels a bit big to say that. I, I think so, but you know, um, it's one that we didn't ask for. Mind you, I don't know if anyone really asks for these things, but. Um, um, yeah, so I, I, I think definitely there's something going on, whether we like it or not. Um, there's some very fundamental going on, and the, I mean the, the 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 Reformation, the historic one in you know, 500 years ago, um, really had much more to do with our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation. Um, a little bit about the doctrine of the church, you know, but fundamentally the construct was the same. It was Christendom. The assumption is that the church, except for the, what they call the radical reformation, which are Anabaptists, the rest of the churches assumed that they were still the privileged religious institution in society. So the Lutherans became a state church. In fact, Luther put the church under the state. Um, Calvin put the church over the state, you know, but they assumed this contract with the state. What's happened now? I mean, like, and this has been happening. The thing about the apocalypse, right, these things have been going on a long time. But now it's accelerated under these conditions. So we get to see again that the fundamental contract is wrong now. The map no longer fits the territory. And so we're having to rethink this thing. These processes have been going on 
by the missional church movement, which I'm very much a part of, has been trying to kind of rewrite those maps for a while. But um, there's no question that we, we're going to have to think very differently about ourselves. And I think that's happening. Mm. But it has been going on for a while, bro. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about, uh, so, I mean, in the midst of all these moments and even in moments of reformation, I know the church is always having these moments or many reformations that in, in between, but there is always this element, and you talked about it, of, um, of metanoia, uh, of, of re- repentance. Can you, like, you, you, you're talking, you, you're bringing that up quite a lot at the moment. Um, what, why? Well, it's, it's again about this apocalyptic moment of, um, and then when God reveals things to us, it's not for our entertainment. It's usually because he's, you know, he's going to expose some stuff. And that requires repentance. Now, the thing is about repentance, is Mark, is that we've tended, and I think this is true of Western Christianity, but it's certainly true of Protestants. We've tended to narrow it down, to, to think of it in terms of very, narrow individual individual and moralistic terms um and it is that i mean when you sin you ask you, you repent and ask forgiveness uh, and repentance means you have to have a change of heart and mind about what you've been doing right but most of us more or less understand that but we don't think of it truthfully we don't really know how to do it and most of our traditions don't teach us anything about it but the idea of in the New Testament, the word metanoia is that the word I'm using a lot now. Oh, I like it. I'll, I'll become clear. But um, it, it, it really captures up this idea of... Uh, so in the Old Testament, the word is teshuvah, which means to turn, which is the idea of conversion. It's like a turning. You're going in this direction, you're turning the other direction. There's, so there's a reorientation of your life. Very, very important. The New Testament takes that up, but also puts this other word on it called metanoia. And meta means above or beyond. If you're thinking meta, you're thinking critically above something. Um, And then noia is really from nurse, which is mind. So it's above mind or beyond mind. And the best translation for that, bro, is actually what we would call in our time paradigm shift. Or I think of a much cooler way to talk about it is have your mind blown blowing your mind literally metanoia and and so i think that that's really what's needed here and one of the interesting thing about metanoia is that it, it it always blows your mind up bigger so you actually because you know that we have this tendency to make everything small and controllable mm. it sounds a bit like paranoia you know, paranoid. <laughs> paranoid. <laughs> We're a bit more used to that, aren't we? That way, like you know, it's more like the reduction or the shrinking or the the, the, the defensive place. You know, para versus meta. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that and use you. Um, yeah, so paranoia. That's right. So you go paranoia and metanoia. Um, so yeah. So lucky. So you know, I think it's a very exciting thing because any move towards God, if you want to know more about God, always requires. Metanoia. You can never grow in God if you don't practice it. But that's true for the church. And here's the other thing, Mark. And what I think this is what we have to learn. When the Bible talks about it, it almost always talks about it to a corporate entity, not to individuals. But it, it is. I mean, you repent. But there's whole groups. But but in, in the Old Testament, it's always Israel as a whole is called to to turn and repent. Yeah. And uh, the the New Testament, likewise. I mean, the churches in seven churches of Revelations are called to repent. Mm. Now, here's the thing: is that I remember having an it's an argument. It wasn't. It was. He's a dear friend of mine. His name shall remain quiet. You know, man, I've learned a lot from. We had this thing about we talked about repentance, and he's a European messiologist. So he's a very, very well studied man. And we were, we, I was saying, like, I look at Europe, and I think. It just hasn't been able to repent of things it's done. You know, the church hasn't repented. He said, but how can the church repent? I said, like, you mean to say you don't understand that that repentance applies corporately? He says, no, repentance is an individual thing. I said, that explains Europe, you see. In, in so much of the church in Europe hasn't been able to grow beyond very narrow frames of church. I mean, it's interesting that we've had a kind of a form of the church that has lasted like the 17 centuries and it still dominates us. It wasn't the original form. It wasn't. 
you look at the Bible, it's much more like a, much more like what's coming out of COVID. It was a persecuted church. What's it look like on a, um, what does repentance look like on a communal level, uh, organisational level? Are you saying that sin is sometimes more structural than it yes. individual? Is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that groups have to learn to repent. Because, I mean, a, a, a group can make wrong decisions too. In fact, uh, we do that all the time. And then more and more, we, and we double down because we get into this group think and defend ourselves. And the thing is, God calls you to repent. So just repent, let go. And also the thing about tradition, you can't carry it all with you. You just can't. You can't do everything your ancestors did. And why would you want to anyway? And in, in the church, we're attached to obsolete things. I mean, every organization is, right? But the church attaches itself to things that once worked but no longer work. Um, where we put Bible verses on them and then you can't let them go. But there's nothing sacred about the forms of church life. I mean, there's nothing sacred about that. You know, you, know, you, you, know, you, you there's, there's no obligation to kind of keep doing the things that we've done in the past just because we did them in the past. And so we need to be able to learn to give up. So there's this, you mentioned this unlearning to order to, you have to unlearn before you can relearn something. And this unlearning is the metanoic process. Yeah, it's, that, that takes some obsolete stuff. Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, just from what I'm thinking now, is it? It's not just the load of humility, but like to go to the bigger place or the the more expansive place. It's it's a it's a risk, isn't it? You know, it's a, there's a you know not to bring paranoia. I don't know if it's helpful, but that's a more you know, a place where we're often perhaps we look a bit more paranoid in our defensive positions. We defend our the way we talk about the Bible or all this kind of stuff. Very like, um, yes. I don't know, controlled security, all those kind of words. But the metanoia is kind of more an expansive kind of yes, diving into yes. something. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's not something bad about it. It's it's actually a joyous, it's a joyous thing, and so it's, it's you know the rabbis used to teach that there were seven principles on which the world is founded. And metanoia or, or repentance is one of them. This capacity to learn and keep learning and keep growing is just built into the very structure and the logic of, of the entire world. Um, now, that sounds right to me. It seems like every human being needs to be able to do this, to be able to, to be human and to function. You, you've, you've got to be able to... Um, be released from bad thinking, sometimes very narrow and sometimes very dangerous thinking. Um, you need to be forgiven, you know. Sometimes we do sins together. Again, wars and things like that, they should be repented of. Yeah. Um, and if you can't repent, you just you just wear it. Yeah. And, you know, so it's just a, it's a gift to us that God has given us. We just don't know how to exercise it. Yeah, it feels like we've not been taught in the practice of, of, of no. metanoia and it feels like we try and jump across the bridge, if you like, before, you know, taking the journey down. And it's uh, that's been our story, you know, that's kind of yeah. left us in all sorts of odd places at times. Yeah. So you're aware of our work with the Movement Leaders Collective and uh, one of the things that Rich and myself are doing <clears throat> is running a thing called the Movement Accelerator. And... It's built around this, um, what we call a metanoid process of it's a downward curve and an upward curve. So it's kind of a U-curve. And we call it a turning point or U-turn. And the down curve is the unlearning process. It starts with an unraveling, unlearning, becoming conscious, naming the problem, seeing afresh, um, getting different perspectives on things that we become so familiar with that we can't see the problem anymore. So we need fresh eyes and take another look, a different framework. If we're in Reformation time, I think my latest book has been called Reframation. We have to reframe things in order to understand them fresh. So reframing, and then you come to this metanoid moment of this, aha, eureka, I see it. And then you begin to reconstruct on the up curve. And, And by doing that, it's really good design thinking and design processing. And, and building in the logic of change and adaptivity and into the very life of the organisation. 
so we haven't, it's been a lot of fun, you know, taking lots of leaders through it at the moment. Um, something you'd enjoy, bro. I mean, like, we should get you in on it and you can use it as a tool in, in, in Sweden or wherever you want I'm to do it. I'm all in. I'm all in. What, what do you think, uh, just off the back of this, uh, we talk organisation, but uh, just if we move to a bit more leadership, um, what's your big hope for leaders at the moment? What, what, what do we need to, you know, what, what behaviours do we need to be modelling, avoiding, um, to take us through this moment, to navigate us through this strange time? Well, uh, so, yeah, if we, we stay on topic, is the thing is that <clears throat> I, I think it, it that I think it is time to acknowledge that, you know, there, there are sins that we've all been part of, and and that there are certain things that, that we as leaders have entrenched into the system. It was said, I can't remember the name, the guy said this, but um, it's hard to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding something. And really leaders have been part of the problem um, because we're the ones who entrench a certain way of thinking about things. And, and very hard for us, you know, to challenge the system that we have pretty much built and get our self-esteem and our money and our, you know, kids, college, you know, funds and all that, it's all built on this. Very hard to, you know, so we are part of the problem. And I think we must be willing to ourselves think again. Um, and 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 look again. Look again at, at the basics of church, and just beginning, just to be, to see it differently. So, one of the little stories that I found quite inspiring because it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, a Ghanaian um, pastor in England, actually, in, and you know the the um, there's some very large African immigrant churches in England um, or in, in the UK. Um, the largest churches in the UK are immigrant churches, first generation. And he, he, you know, he had one of these churches and he, he was saying all these friends in the other large churches were lamenting in COVID that the church is closed down. No, the church is closed down. It's like a disaster. And he said, said this, he said, no, the church hasn't closed down. The church has opened up in a thousand places. And I think that's it. Can we... Can we look again? Um, and can we actually say, actually, is that really? I mean, the church really can actually break out. That that what's going on in COVID is the, this incredible opportunity to rethink what the church is and how it engages. We can have a church on every street corner, every every neighbourhood can have a, a little ecclesia. Can we can we empower that? Can we get behind that? Can we see that go to scale? Um, Wow, I mean, it's a great opportunity. Just we have to know what we're looking at, though, and you know, we have to recognize it. And that takes a bit of you know, of repentance on our behalf as leaders to say we were wrong. We always thought the church was a building and an institution that needed the clergy, it didn't. Jesus' church never needed any of that stuff. Well, we're all clergy, we're all laity. Take your pick, it doesn't need that stuff. The early church did it, our biblical church did it, the Chinese church did it, the early Methodists did it, your Salvation Army folks did it without all that stuff, you know? Why do we think we need it now? I'm just saying Jesus doesn't need it. And maybe it's chance for us as leaders to rethink fundamentally what the church is and who we serve and how we serve it. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Well, we're just coming towards like the last kind of part, and I just wanted to ask you something that I'm quite interested to hear a little bit more about. One of the emails that I was caught with by that you wrote was um, you mentioned that we we need to. Well, you talk about apostolic modality, and um, I just would like to hear. Like you, you obviously you you've talk, you're very interested in exploring what it looks like to to see things go into kaboom movement, you know, uh, you know, to see like uh, context saturated with movemental kind of dynamics and all that kind of stuff. What's the role of, and that's what we're longing to see, that's a, the prayer of many, of course, um, but you, you talk about apostolic modality. What, what, what is that? What's the role of that in, in all of that? Yes, well, 
Well, as, as you know, and I think, you know, you guys have got yourself also very involved in 5Q, you know, so like um, there's, a, there's a belief, I believe very strongly, that, that movements in history that have ever made any impact at all have never had less than a five-fold understanding of ministry, that every movement needs ministry and leadership, like leadership that is both able to initiate and sustain movement. You'll be able to initiate something and sustain it over a long term. And to do that, you need all five of the Ephesians 4 typology of ministry, which, just to mention it, is apostle, sent one missionary, um, pioneer, um, entrepreneur and innovator um, type, you know, because what worked in Jerusalem ain't going to work in Corinth and it's not going to work in Philippi. You know, so there's quite a strong entrepreneurial class. Prophet, it keeps you aligned to the purposes of God, um, both in terms of personal holiness and keeping in line with God directly, but also in social holiness, uh, injustice and issues like that. Um, evangelist is the recruiter to the cause. Um, the singer of this song um, gets people into the movement. Um, you know, very important church growth kind of function. Shepherd is the one who sustains human community, flourishing human community, all the good stuff there, healing, reconciliation, wholeness teacher, one who brings wisdom and understanding, um, makes us wise people. <clears throat> well, you need all five to be healthy. Now, when I talk about apostolic modality, it's a particular way of looking at the church through the lens of the apostolic. And the apostolic one, I believe, is the one most appropriate for our time. Not, not all of them are necessary, though, I'm not saying. But when we see the church as a, as a dispersed um, network, that's apostolic modality. That's Because that's the way an apostle would see the church in its normative form. Uh, it would be a multiplication movement that ex keeps extending outwards and keeping connection going out. So it's it's movemental. It's it's going to grow exponentially as it goes out. So um, that's what I think I meant by that. Um, but so it's an opportunity to look at the church again, rather than just a gathered community, which is more a shepherd's way of looking at it, as a scattered community that can multiply and impact as it scatters. So yeah. That's great. I'm the Lord of the Long Answer, bro. I'm totally sorry. <laughs> the Lord of the Long Answer. Oh, wow. What a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord of the Long Answer. The Lord of the Long Answer. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking at the clock uh, and so much more we could talk about. Um, but uh, just to kind of bring it home, uh, you know, you said, and, uh, you know, I love, it's such a simple term, but that longing to read Jesus, the moment, the movement. Um, and, you know, we in the missional conversation, we talk about scalability, multiplication a lot. Uh, and it kind of feels that we're in this moment where the world is looking in on us and, and wondering, you know, what is it we're actually multiplying? What are the Christians doing? Uh, oh, shit. Uh, and, um, yeah, just just that aroma, uh, you know, of Christ, that, that's, that, that's the longing, that's the prayer. Um, I, I'm probably saying what you already think, but, uh, you know, do you just want to, like, say a few words about your hope? around that and you're longing for that yes well you know this <clears throat> i think you would have seen that in a email uh, more recently that i sent out but the theme of our movement leaders collective gathering this year is re jesus which means you know returning to the founder and recalibrating to align ourselves with the founder and his ethos ethos um i can't think of a more important thing to do right now there's so much we need to do but given the conditions of the church and the character of the church, and as we mentioned in the beginning there, that it doesn't look, act, sound, think like Jesus. Um, I can't think of a more important thing than getting our most fundamental alignment correct again, and, and, and so that Jesus and his church are much more aligned, um, that, that, that the form of Christ is experienced through the people of God and people of Christ and the body of Christ. Um, that means that we just got to go and just do a checkup with Dr. Jesus again, just saying, oh, well, are we still, are we still in the movement? <laughs> are we still in his movement? Are we doing something else? I cannot think of more anything more important right now, and particularly for the U.S. church, I've got to be honest. Um, 
if, if it doesn't do this, then it just takes toxic religion and makes it goes to scale on toxic religion. And I, I can't serve that anymore. Mm. Can't do that. So we need to be aware of what we're multiplying, as you, as you suggested, I think, and it has to be Jesus. We have no permission to do anything else in his name, so it's got to be Jesus, man. Yeah. Well, I think we'll leave that as the, the final word. Alan Hirsch, just a big thank you for joining us today on the Venture 12 podcast. We really hope that you'll, you'll join us again sometime in the, in the future. I wish you all the best in the team. Thank you. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, out in Australia. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you too. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm sure you're minds are a bit full now with some of the words of Alan and the conversation uh, there between Mark and Alan. Um, just a challenging, provoking, huge amount of content in there. Yeah. Uh, what, what was it like for you to sit in there and just take this in firsthand? Um, well, I, I, I listened to it earlier again today mm. and I needed to lie down afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's so, there's so much in there, yeah. and um, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know how to put words to it, but it, but I felt I was in the middle of something important, yeah, yeah, uh, and the message was important, uh, and we were just talking about it now that we we don't just want to pass this message on through a podcast that that we we wanted to receive it as well, like, yeah, especially. Um, I'm jumping ahead now, but especially that idea of metanoia and repentance, mm. um, and uh, I think it was a, it's a I think it is a word for the church. Yeah, uh, I mean that's saying the obvious. So we're always called to that, but I I just remember like in the podcast when I listened to it over and I just said I've I don't think I've been taught to do that. Like, and that's strange, isn't it? Like, yeah. like it's strange. And then I was reflecting on how as organisations and as the church. You don't really, you don't really see it that often, like uh, repentance, or, no. or we're just not used to kind of like being in that space of uh, facing up to, you know, what's what, and looking reality in the face and naming things for what they are. So, yeah. I think that is tiring. That's why I needed to lie down yeah. and just reflect, you know, and just even ask God, you know, what's. Uh, and even in our context here, I mean, relatable to us as well, here in Sweden, he, he makes a point about the Europe and repentance, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he said, what did he say? He said, the church in Europe has not been repenting. Mm. And um, I mean, I guess like uh, the message was, you know, that is such a crucial part of the journey in order to get to the promised land, yeah. <laughs> if you like, or to get the, you know, the, the win or the fruit or the or the joy. So it, it, I was kind of feeling, you know, we so often rush over mm. that. We try and jump the hurdle or we, we try and skip uh, that 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 place. So, yeah, I, th I think that's that. That was the thing that jumped out to me the most. Um, mm. We can perhaps come back to that. But what, what, what about you? What did you feel like? Yeah. What, what was your highlight? What grabbed you, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we have to firstly just recommend people to listen to it again because <laughs> uh, I've I've listened to it um, twice now and still kind of just gra trying to get to grips with it. And I mean, you're thrown in at the deep end because within three minutes he's talking about apocalypse and revelation. <laughs> Um, and then um, kind of goes on to this current cultural moment that we're in, everything from COVID and the impact that that's had on the world to touching on the election and um, the future of the church. Um, I think the thing that grabbed me is may maybe because it was later on in the interview and I'd settled into it a little bit by then, but just kind of touching on the the, the real potential of what is in this micro church, the age of the micro Um and just how that is relating to, I've only only just putting this together in my head now, but how that is actually really related to metanoia, yeah. the mind blowing, the big thinking, yeah. how that is maybe even leading us to micro. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, still still trying to put it together in my head. Yeah. Um, but but I was really fascinated um, by that um, Ghanaian pastor in in England, um, 
just his in his response to is the church dying or a church is closing down because of the pandemic and his response was no there's thousands opening yeah uh, and how we can just see churches small groups as he was yeah. calling them micro churches on every street corner in every community yeah um yeah i mean we've all grown up thinking that big is better or big is you know mega church you know the big models of churches yeah. you know that they are you know the benchmark yeah um and it feels like actually a bit of the metanoia process is realizing actually maybe, yeah, maybe small is more, more, yeah, <laughs> and move more and move, yeah. move mental, yeah. And I mean that's that's also just even relating it back to our last topic or two two podcasts ago with Dave Ferguson, um, how he was talking about a really similar thing, how it's about um, moving from this attractional to this sending. So that when you're sending people, you're sending them to send others, to send others, to send others. And that can only be done on a micro level. It doesn't work in the in the mega level, does it? No, no. Yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff. I feel like we we should do a podcast on micro churches. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that there's lots to learn in in, in that space. Mm. Uh, certainly, if he's if it's true, if it's true that it's the age of the yeah. the micro church or the age of the yeah. the the network of micro churches, and that's mm. another thing, isn't it? Networks yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah, metanoia. I think for me, I know I've already been talking about it. So for yeah. me, that was the big thing, and I, I was wondering. I would, would be interesting to see what people, how people reflect on this, particularly if, if, if you have time, like do post your questions on Facebook. It'd be interesting to have a conversation about how you, how you instigate those conversations. If you're in an organisation, a church, uh, an institution, how do you? How how does that process of metanoia actually look hmm. uh, with a group of leaders uh, who maybe have responsibility for for a ministry or for a, an organisation? You know, how do you get people to that place? Hmm. Um, because we're so not used to it, really. Yeah. Why why do you think that is? What's holding back that process? Uh, well, you have to admit you you've got it wrong. I think yeah. is is the start, um, and you know it's really hard to to recognize that there's another way i think those are those are natural things um but there's also like elements of forgiveness mm. if sometimes you have to say sorry um i just think that is a really hard thing strangely in the, even in the church especially around like structures and things like that i think it's just not a natural place to go mm. right for a leader to to go sorry for the last 30 years, <laughs> yeah. 40 years, 100 yeah. years, you know. Something fundamental to the faith as well. Yeah. Like this whole idea of saying sorry, repentance, receiving grace. Yeah, yeah. And I get that, the idea of church sort of reforming, but I think, you know, to have that deeper reformation or that deeper kind of even revelation, to embrace the proper revelation, you can't sk- skip that real honesty, mm. you know, to be really honest with your structures and and all those kind of things. Anyway, yeah, I... I th- that's uh, off the top of my head. It'd be interesting to hear what people think about how how do you get those conversations going? Mm. How you know how do you how do you face up and name what's what's not working properly and apologise for it? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, well, we'll move on to some of those questions in a bit because we always want to move uh, any interviews and any podcasts we have from kind of just listening and finding things interesting and challenging into application. Um, so we'll, we'll present some questions soon, but is there anything uh, else? I mean, I loved the story that he told using the picture of the chessboard. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he talks, uh, as you've already listened, just about how the Queen has been the most important part of the chessboard, has been the, the Sundays, and uh, to learn how to play without that uh, is yeah. kind of a moment that we're in now. Yeah. And if you're able to do that, if you're learning how to play without the the, the best piece on the board... Or the most important piece of the board, or yeah, if you're learning how to do that, then you're going to become a master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I said, that the, the the queen is the Sunday service. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about all the hours I've put into preparing for the for the Sunday service. Yeah, you know, so it begs real big questions of us going forward, like yeah. you know, how we even to the micro level, how we use our time. You know what, mm. you know, all those kind of things. So it's. Yeah. It's an analogy, but it has incredible impacts on how we lead and how we do church. Um, so, so much to think about in this podcast. It's like almost overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, so we're not holding back. We just feel a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and probably need to get Alan back. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, Alan. We should have really <laughs> asked you just to explain yeah. it, you know, to help us like on the practical level. I'm sure he'd be well up for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I, d- I don't know what else to say really, other than the last part, which um, I think we got a bit of the heart of it, uh, where where he's, in his parting words he says to read Jesus the the church to re-Jesus the moment or re-Jesus uh, to reform and to come back to the founder yeah uh, so I think I want that to rest mm. on everybody who's listening and uh, it almost goes without saying it sounds like common sense yeah but you look around the world at the moment and you know it's the most important thing right now yeah to realign back it's the starting place isn't it yeah yeah and actually he did say there's nothing more important than that mm. um so yeah yeah all right well um let's not take up too much time with our words uh, let's let people reflect on that great interview and as i say listen to it again and again um and mark can you just um pose or present some questions that people can discuss in their leadership groups or in their networks or in their friendship groups whoever you're listening to this uh, podcast with um, just so that we can try, kind of try to take a step into application absolutely we really want you to use this podcast as a resource that's the big hope so if you're in a friendship group uh, team etc etc as chris said here are your questions so what have you heard what might this mean uh, for you uh, personally in your leadership um, what is your, what could your next steps be uh, both personally and in leadership or in ministry and uh, and I guess uh, what 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 was, what do you think you need to dig deeper into learn more about and then finally we always like to ask the question who do you need to share this with who do you need to have this conversation with who can you expose to these kind of ideas thinking mm. um so yeah that would that would be our suggestion our suggestive yeah. questions yeah and actually just thinking about it as well we're talking here if you're having these conversations in your leadership teams or anything but if you're just someone listening to this individually as well we've also got a forum uh, on facebook uh, if you go and search for the venture 12 podcast um, we, we'd love to just engage in conversation with, with anyone who's listening. So please do a comment, write down some of your answers to these questions or some of your thoughts um, that kind of sprung up in you during the interview uh, with Alan. Uh, we'd, we'd really love to hear from you and be in an engaged, active conversation. Absolutely. Well, I think we better bid everybody farewell. Yeah. Um, God's peace uh, be with you and may God bless you as the day unfolds. Uh, We'll see you next time. See you next time. Take care.